All right, are you ready for God's word today? All right, get, get your Bible and turn with me to Genesis chapter 32, everybody, Genesis 32. We are in a series of messages that we called Identified identified. And this was something that's really, I, it was on my heart, but I, I really felt the prompting and leading of the Holy Spirit for this series. Obviously, is how all the series, someone said, hey, where do you get your series? Well, I get a lot of message ideas that I never get to preach because my dad, who was a, a, a preacher and pastor for years, always taught me, carry a notebook with you because you never know where you're going to be inspired. And this is true. I've been inspired in the most weird places. I've been in weird movies and thought, you know, it'd be a great sermon. You know what I mean? It's just the way my mind thinks. And and, uh, but where we get our series really is I sit with the Lord and I just say, God, what, what do you want to talk about? What do you want to say? Uh, ultimately, I think my job is not to come up with messages. It's really just to repeat them. I think great preachers, the great preachers that I really love to listen to, I think are just great repeaters of what the Holy Spirit is saying. You know, this is what the Spirit says to the, who, he who has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the church. That tells me the Holy Spirit always has something to say to the church. And success as someone who speaks to the church is just hearing him and repeating what he's saying. And I really felt this burden around the issue of identity because it, it feels like to me, that our culture is experiencing an identity crisis and has been for some time. Uh, this past week, I was moving my oldest son to college, which was hard for me as a dad uh, because he's so far away. He's in Arizona. And I'm very proud of him, and I'm very excited, but there's just something about when you've had a... I, you parents, you understand this, but you know that child has lived in my house for 20 years, and I'm not used to not seeing him all the time, and then to drive him 1,200 miles away and leave him. That was weird. That was so weird. But we had a lot of good conversation because we had to take his car. So it was, you know, <laughs> it was two guys in a little car driving across the country, everybody. And, uh, I, I, you know, we drove one whole day and was still in Texas. And I was reminded that Texas is big. It's, and I love Texas, right? The stars at night are big and bright. Deep in the heart, there it is. All right. My people. And uh, so we drove, but we had lots of great talks, but we were talking about last week's message in this series, and I'd shared last week, and I said, you know, don't laugh, because if you're not aware of this, it really is a thing. But, you know, not only in our current culture and society are people, you know, have we separated sex and gender, and, we've, and now supposedly, this is not congruent with the Word of God, but based on our culture, we're now saying gender is a social construct. It actually doesn't speak to sex, and we're all picking our own pronouns that we, not all of us, but people are picking their own pronouns. And, and then this phenomenon came out where people are, young people, adults, etc., are now identifying as, I think they call, it's called furries, because they identify as animals. And I watched a documentary with a lady that identified as a wolf, which was, it, it, to me, it was just extraordinarily sad. I didn't know it. I just was, you know, just like, oh my Lord, this is sad to me. Um, and, and then some of our children in schools are identifying as animals, and it's disrespectful not to acknowledge that. And so we're driving across that. My oldest son, he's got a sense of humor kind of like mine, and we're driving across the, the country, if you will, and we're talking about this, and he said, Dad, I'm not sure if I'm more concerned because you just now figured out what a furry is or if I'm more concerned because you actually figured out what a furry is. He said, I just, I'm not sure what's more concerning to me. And I said, I'm just concerned that there's a thing called a furry that is an identity, and this speaks to where our culture is at. 
And, um, I, you know, I, I, it, it hurts me for our culture, but it also hurts me because, and you have to watch what we did. Once you separate anything from God, it gets distorted. And once you separate anything from God, it can be perverted. When you separate gender from the one who assigned it, when you separate sex from the one who created it, when you separate, you know, identity, as we're talking about, from the one who gives it, then you run into a lot of problems. And so what happened is we separated God away from culture, right? And then we made it to where truth um, is relative. And if it's offensive, then you can't talk about it. And how many know truth is offensive? This is a great scheme of the enemy, by the way. It's a great scheme of the enemy because truth is offensive because it doesn't care about how you feel, right? It doesn't matter if you feel like you can fly. Gravity is true. And if you jump off a building, it doesn't matter if you, how you may identify or how you may feel or what you may think about it. Gravity is an absolute. Truth, by definition, has to be absolute. There can't be relative truth because truth isn't relegated or relative to any one person. Truth is established. For us, the word of God is truth. Jesus said, sanctify them by your truth. Your word, oh God, is truth. So truth, and here it is, truth's offensive, especially when you're not congruent with it. Jesus offended a lot of religious people, and he is truth. But look what we've done in culture. We've made it, if it's offensive, you can't talk about it. And we have silenced truth. And now we have a lot of people living lives based on relativity or, or relative concepts. And it's not relative truth because truth can't be relative. And now based on that, you can't even tell people the truth because if it offends them, it's hate speech. And, and here's what I'm saying. Back up one step. Who do you think is behind all this? Because we do not wrestle with flesh and blood. No, we wrestle with principalities and powers and rulers of darkness. The enemy, Satan, who do you think is behind? And we just think, no, this is just the way in which we live. No, 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 no. No, we need everybody who's woke to wake up. You know what I'm saying? I want to do a sermon called Get Woke. <laughs> and so when we're talking about the issues of identity, I, I, you know, again, I know there are people who don't believe in God. My audience today is people that probably have some concept of faith or have a strong relationship with Jesus or at least understand something about the Bible. I mean, if you're at church or you're watching online, something brought you here. I mean, I guess somebody could have lied to you and said, hey, we're going to IHOP, and then they brought you here. I mean, I, that could have happened. You know, I don't know, but, um, and forgive them. They were just looking out for your best, I guess, you know, just, Lord, just forgive us for lying. And so, but, but I just want us as a church, like I, I'm your pastor and, and I want us to be really sure in the issues of culture that we understand that our lives are built on the truth of God's word. That's where, that is the source. That is where we all go back. And if truth is doing its job, it is offending us. And it is offending us not out of hatred. It's offending us out of mercy. Because if truth doesn't offend us out of mercy, how can you get saved unless someone tell you you're lost? 
right? Paul said, I wouldn't have known what coveting was unless there was a law that told me thou shalt not covet. Now, it was offensive because I really wanted my neighbor's boat, but it offended me enough to say, no, I can't covet their boat. I got to let that go so I can be right with God. Jesus would even say things like, I came to turn family members against each other. And I mean, he, like, I didn't come to, you know, I came to bring a sword. I mean, he would say, Jesus, how many of Jesus said things as offensive? If Jesus were to preach today, let me tell you right now, he'd be canceled. Not that you can cancel the Son of God. That'd be kind of funny to even watch somebody try. But he would be labeled, they'd say, that's hate speech. Because he said very offensive things. Right? Why? Because he is truth. And if a loving God who is truth loves you, he will convict you and confront you with truth, knowing it will offend you, hoping you will turn to him and receive him and receive his grace. So anyways, truth is not popular in our culture. I didn't really say any of that in the first one, but it kind of excited me. And um, so bonus content, I guess. Genesis 32. Let's get to the message for today. <laughs> um, in Genesis 32, this is the story of, of part of the story, part of Jacob's story. So there was Abraham, the father of faith, who God called out of um, Ur, and then they stopped at Haran, and then God called him out of Haran into the promised land. So there's Abraham. Uh, and then he and Sarah had a son named Isaac, who was the promise, right? And then Isaac uh, marries Rebecca, and they have twin boys, Jacob and Esau. And um, so Genesis, how we get to Genesis 32, most of you know the story of Jacob and Esau. Uh, Jacob was the chef. Esau was the hunter. Esau got hungry. Jacob technically was the second born twin. He was born grasping the hand of Esau, grasping the heel of Esau. Thus, he was named Jacob, meaning one who grafts, supplanter, deceiver. There's a lot of different contexts or explanations for his name, definitions, etc. Um, and so then we know that he, you know, bought the birthright from Esau for some soup, which must have been really good soup. Um, and then he, what he's famous for is deceiving his father into receiving the blessing of the firstborn, which was an incredible honor. It was very powerful, and it was for the firstborn, but he pretended to be Esau with the help of his mother um, and deceived his father and got the blessing. And then he realizes that um, probably when his father dies, when Isaac dies, Esau is going to kill him, so he takes off and he goes on a run. And he runs about 400 miles north to Uncle Laban's house. And he's with um, Uncle Laban. That's where he meets his, his two wives, uh, Rachel and Leah. Uh, there's a lot of stories about that. And then after being at Laban's for 20 years, then he actually leaves Laban because they had some disagreements over business. That might be the nice way to say it. They were both kind of doing each other wrong is essentially both, yeah, both of them weren't, weren't the best in business practices. Anyways, and so he leaves there, and then he's about to run into Esau, who he thinks wants to kill him, and that's what gets us to Genesis 32. And so we're just going to read this together. It says, And he arose that night and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his 11 sons. Somebody say, that suburban was full. <laughs> Anyways, <laughs> I was saying, that suburban was full, y'all. That's what I'm saying. And he crossed over the ford of Jabbok. He, he took them, sent them over the brook, and he sent over what he had. Then Jacob was left alone and a man. Now, most versions, you're reading this out of your Bible, most versions capitalize man here. Um, they make it a proper noun. And the reason they do that is because most theologians will tell you this is, uh, here's a 
Bible, Bible school word, it's a Christophany, meaning it is Christ appearing in the Old Testament. And so you have to know that Jesus was born in the flesh in the New Testament, but he is eternal and has always been eternal. He's the eternal son of God, the lamb of God slain before the foundation of the world. And, and so um, he existed in the Old Testament. And many times Christophanies will give him the title, the angel of the Lord. Some people mistakenly think that's talking about Gabriel. Um, if it's talking about Gabriel, it names him. Typically, if it's talking about a particular angel, it will name them a lot of times. But, but the angel of the Lord is typically a title given to a particular message from God that most theologians would tell you is they believe Jesus or a Christophany. So here, man is capitalized because we see we believe it's Jesus. In fact, Jacob's going to say, I've seen God face to face. And that's one of the reasons why uh, we've settled on that. So uh, anyways, so he, the man wrestled with him until the break of day. Now, when he saw that he did not prevail against him, he touched the socket of his hip and the socket of Jacob's hip was out of joint as he wrestled with him. And he said, let me go for daybreaks. And Jacob said, I'm not going to let you go unless you bless me. And he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. And he said, your name is no longer called Jacob, but Israel, for he has struggled with God and with men and had prevailed. Then Jacob asked, saying, tell me your name, I pray. And he said, what is it that you ask about my name? And he said, and he blessed them there. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, saying, for I've seen seen God face to face and my life was preserved. Just as he crossed over Peniel, the sun rose on him and he limped on his hip. He limped on his hip. Uh, I call this message naming rights, naming rights. And so let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for the word of God. Lord, in a world of chaos, we have a word that is sure. God, that is eternal, that never fades, that is consistent and constant. Lord, that's what we want to base our lives on today. So God, I just pray that we wouldn't miss this moment with you, but as we look to the word of God, the Holy Spirit would speak to each one of us, that we would hear you and that our lives would be changed and transformed by the power of your word, by the power of your spirit. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. Amen. Um, So here we have Jacob. It's kind of interesting story in, in, in that Jacob, when he leaves home, he's actually, he leaves mom and dad's house at the young, tender age of 76. Imagine being 76, single, living in the basement of your mom and dad's tent. It's kind of a crazy story. He goes to, to Laban and he's, he's there with Laban 20 years. He works uh, for Laban, and he builds wealth there, and then finally leaves over some disagreements. He escapes, if you will, takes off in the night. Um, and then in Genesis 32, he's about to meet Esau. He's actually 97 years old. Could you be imagine being 97 years old and still not knowing who you are? And I guess the other side of that is good news. If you're 97 years old and you don't know who you are, it's okay. God still knows who you are. And it's never late to discover who God calls you. It's never too late to discover what God has named you. And so this is this incredible moment with Jacob where his whole life he's believed, if you will, he's believed that he is is Jacob only to finally come face to face with God and realize what I've been called my whole life is not necessarily who I am. That God has a name for me. That God knows me. 
And that's really, that's really what I want to talk about today. That's why I called it naming rights. The sermon in a sentence, if you want the sermon in a sentence because you're scared you're going to fall asleep and you want to write this down. The sermon in the sentence is um, only God can name you. God knows who you are. Um, I have three things I want to talk about as we look at this passage together. Three things. Number one is this. You can write this down. But number one is uh, what we're called isn't always who we are. What we're called is not always who we are. In Genesis 32, it says, He said to him, What is your name? And Jacob replied, My name is Jacob. What you're called is not always who you are. I think one of the things, going back to kind of what I said in the introduction, is that what we need to understand is that there is a war on identity. That's really what we're seeing in culture. It's really what we're seeing in our world. And truthfully, just like Jacob is going to wrestle with God, can I just tell you this? We're all going to wrestle with two questions. All of us are going to wrestle with two questions. Who am I and why am I? Those are two questions that we're all, all going to wrestle with. Every person here, this one thing we all have in common. I, you have it in common with me. I have it in common with you. You have it in common with the person to the left and the person to the right of you. We all have this in common. We, we want to know. We need, we need to answer that, and that is a question we all have. Who am I and why am I? In other words, who, who am I and why am I here? Is the question we have is, is the question Jacob. And what we have to understand is those questions come from the fact that we were born disconnected from God. And ultimately we need to understand God is the one that can help us answer those questions. But we need to understand because we are born with those questions and born not knowing the answers to those questions, that is usually where the enemy sets up camp and wars against identity. And we have to understand that what we see in our culture today and what we're experiencing today is not just randomness because we've evolved and been enlightened or illuminated. No, it is the work of the enemy because the enemy is always warring against your identity. Don't believe me? Ask Jesus. In Luke chapter four, the Bible says that Jesus was led into the wilderness by the Holy Spirit. Now, if I wanted to, I could preach a whole sermon just on that, that just because you're in a wilderness doesn't mean it's the devil. Sometimes God will lead you there because God wants to do something in you before he can do something through you. But passing on from that sermon, he was led into the wilderness by the Holy Spirit and was tempted for 40 days by the devil. It's interesting. Let me ask you this question. Do, do you, don't you think, we'll say it this way, don't you think that Satan knew Jesus was the Son of God? Would he really set up camp for 40 days and tempt someone if he didn't believe he was the Son of God? Don't you think probably with all the prophecies and having been around as long as the devil's been around, he had a pretty good inclination, right? Remember, Satan really ultimately was the one that was behind Jesus being put to death, Ultimately, right, one theologian said it this way, I think if, if Satan would have understood the consequences of crucifying Jesus, he would have killed anyone that was trying to kill Jesus. Like he didn't get it. He needed to kill him. The reason why he thought I need to kill him because he's the son of God. So I think Satan knew my point. I think Satan knew who Jesus was. And isn't it interesting knowing who Jesus was in the temptation two times out of three temptations that we have recording scripture two times, he said, hey, if you're really God's son. Now he would have been there if he didn't really believe he was God's son. But what is he doing? He's trying to bring into question who he is. 
Do you know why the enemy does not want you to know who you are? Because he does not want you to do what you were created to do. And we are human beings before we are human doings. In other words, I will never do what God created me to do until I become who God created me to be. And when we try to be human doings without first being human beings, we usually make messes. Are you with me? And if you're Satan, and think about this, creation, the Bible says, is groaning for the revealing of the sons of God. So if you're Satan and you know that God is, is, has sons, and once we become sons, they step into purpose and identity, and they do what God's created them to do, and creation wants them to be revealed, and, and the salvation, you know, God's plan, essentially, it, it comes through them, and that we are given a ministry of reconciliation, and we're imploring people, come back to God. I mean, all the things that, that the Bible tells us we are called to, to bring the kingdom of God on the earth. And if you're Satan and you don't want to see any of that, the best way you keep any of that from happening is you convince the sons of God. God, they're not sons of God. You, you confuse the issues of identity. And if you can give them a wrong identity, that's even better. Because if they ever find out who they are, they'll do what they're created to do. So to keep them from doing what they're created to do, I need to keep them from finding out who they were created to be. There, what I need you to understand, we, we see it in Jacob's life because who Jacob was called for 97 years wasn't even who he was. And, and I feel like today there's probably people watching, probably people in this room, and I would love to just tell you, just because you've been called it your whole life doesn't mean that's who you are. And it is never late. It is never too late to let God rename you. When you look at Jacob, it's, it's kind of funny. When you look at him, I say funny. That's probably, that's probably a better word. It's interesting. Interesting is a good word when you don't have another word. You know, when someone cooks you a meal and you eat it, and they're like, How was, that was very interesting. <laughs> it's very neutral. You understand what I'm saying? That's interesting, you know. But I think it's really interesting. When you look at Jacob, how did he get the name Jacob? Well, he got the name Jacob, look, number one, based on circumstance. It was the birth circumstances. It was what he was born into is what determined what he was named. He was born grasping the heel of Esau, so he was named Jacob. When you think about it, how did he get his name? Well, he was Jacob because that's what people called him. Right? If you think about it, um, he was Jacob because, th because of his issues. In fact, when... when um, Isaac and Ishmael are talking and they realize Jacob deceived Isaac and, and basically stole the blessing of the firstborn. Esau makes this statement, and I'll put it kind of in today's vernacular, but he basically says in Genesis chapter 27, he says, well, after all, his name is Jacob. In other words, he's just living up to his name. This is the danger of the name. Because you'll live up to what you're labeled. Right? We're going to live up to what we're called. That's what Esau said. He's just living up to his name. He's known as a deceiver. He's deceiving. Just living up to his name. Wouldn't it be sad to spend 97 years living up to the wrong name? You ever thought about that? 
And I thought about this because you know what? Today, people are still being named by those three things. They're being named by their circumstance. They're being named by other people. And they're being named by their issues. In fact, can I, okay, and I want to be careful how I say this because I don't want to offend anybody. We have, I, there, are, there are some, I think, who are gladly being named by their issues because they don't want to be any higher than, they don't want to go any higher than that. And, and they are using a name or a label as an excuse to not take responsibility for their life. And they're happy to live a lesser life under the wrong label because that excuses them from things that they just don't want to deal with. Is that too much? Because the truth is, the, the problem with labels is labels limit. And that's what the enemy knows. You're limited by the labels you put on yourself. And that's why the enemy, like he wanted, he didn't want Jacob to be Israel. Oh no. He doesn't want Jacob to be the actual, you know, the Bible talks about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That's the three major patriarchs. The promise of Abraham then is passed on generationally, Abraham, Isaac. So it's talking about generational promise and blessing is why God is known as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Those three major patriarchs is a picture of us. And also we are blessed with the blessing of Abraham because of Christ. So, so it's talking about how God passes the blessing on through his people. And so it's, I guess what I'm saying is, here you have Jacob. Well, you don't want Jacob realizing he's Israel and realizing his 12 sons are going to be the 12 tribes of Israel, the start of the great nation that God spoke to Abraham about that would transform the landscape of the world. You don't want him to know that. So it's better to call him something that limits him to being a deceiver or a supplanter or a problem Label him based on his issues. Label him based on his circumstances, birth circumstances. Label him by the voice. Listen, you don't need to let people who don't know you name you. Because we'll ultimately live up to our life. Why do you think God wants to name us? Because he wants us to live up to. Why do you think God won't change his name to Israel? He's like, no, you thought, essentially, you thought you were a mischievous kind of halfway criminal. No, I've called you the father of nations. I've called you to be something great. Let me name you because I want you to live up to your label. So let me label. You better be careful who labels you. I mean, when you think about living up to your label, I don't even think you should label yourself. I don't think you're that smart. I don't think I'm that smart. Isn't it true we label ourselves? We do. I've done it. You've done it. We've all done it. Let's be honest. Because we label ourselves based on experience. Well, I'm never going to be. I'm just not that smart. I'm not going to be that successful. I'm always going to struggle. And we label ourselves based on the thing, our circumstances. Well, I came from this family or I didn't have that family. We, we label ourselves based on what other people have called us. And we label ourselves based on our issues. It was in the Bible. People were named because of their issues. Let me give you one. The woman with the issue of blood. And I just want you to understand what we go through in life, this is the danger of it. If we're not careful, the enemy will use what we go through in life to name us. 
Because he would love for you to be the victim the rest of your life. He would love for you to be the person with PTSD the rest. He would love for you to be the depressed person or the divorced person or the anxious person or the sick person or the scared person. He would love for you to have those labels the rest of your life. But this is why Jesus came. Jesus came because you were mislabeled and he knows the name that you're supposed to have. He came to wrestle with you. Because the greatest way God can bless you, do you think about it? Jacob said, bless me. And this is what God said. The greatest blessing I can give you is tell you who you really are. You don't need a new car. You need to know who you are. And that rhymed. So you need to understand, listen, just because you've been called that your whole life doesn't mean that's who you are. Here's the second thing. Only God can name you. I think you need to write that down. Only God can name you. It's interesting because we live in a culture where everyone's wanting to name themselves. And and what we're all saying is, essentially, think about this. I'm the one that has the right to name me. That's what they're saying. But then they want everyone else to call them that. Okay? Are you, are you tracking with me? I've decided I'm this, and I want you to call me this, and I want you to use these pronouns. Do you know why they're doing that? Because identity can never come from us. And ultimately, we all want someone outside of us, greater than us, to name us. And even the people, when they say, no, I'm not who God says I am. I'm not who mom and dad says I am. I've decided I am who I say I am. And then they turn around and say, now I want y'all to call me that because they're still looking for someone outside of themselves, greater than themselves to tell them who they are. They haven't named themselves. They're trying to get you to name them something they think they are. It's still not based on truth. They still don't know who they are. They've just picked something and they're still craving. We all want somebody, tell me who I am. And here's the great thing about it. God will. And God knows. Only God can name you. He said, he said this is Genesis 32, 28. He says, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel. For you've struggled with God and man and prevailed. God names you. Look at, look at Gen, Gen, uh, John. I almost said Genesis. John. We're going to jump from Genesis to John, everybody. John 10, verse 1. This is, we know in context, this is where Jesus is talking about, I am the good shepherd. But he says, most assuredly, I say to you, who, he who does not enter by the sheepfold, but by the door, but climbs up some other way, the same as a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him, the doorkeeper opens, and the sheep hear his voice. And he calls his own sheep by name. Here's what Jesus said. I know who you are. I know your name. This is why God gets to name you. (laughs) Because God actually knows who you are. Regardless of circumstance. Regardless of what other people have said. Regardless. I mean, think about all the things people are trying to find their identity in. And God's like, don't find it in those things. I know who you are. I'm the good shepherd, and I call my sheep by name. I know the name of every sheep. And I know your name. 
And because I am God. Remember what we said last week? It's worth repeating. But if, if you want to know who you are, you can't start with you because you didn't come from you. Like if you want to know who you are, you got to start where you came from. Come on, somebody. You got to go back home. But the truth is that's not where you came from either. Like if I want to know who I am, I, I can't start with me because I didn't come from me. I can't even go back to my parents because ultimately I didn't come from them. I came through them, but not from them. If I want to know who I am, according to, to David in the Psalms, the one that knit me together in my mother's womb, who, who, who I'm fearfully and wonderfully made by, according to Jeremiah, the one who knew me before he formed me in the womb. If I want to know who I am, I don't, go, I don't go back to my hometown. I don't start with me. I don't start with my parents. I don't start with my family tree. I don't even look at my grandfather, my great-grandfather, my great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-granddaddy. I got to go back to before the beginning because according to the word of God, God knew me before I knew me. He knew me before you knew me. He knew me before my parents knew me. God conceived me in his heart long before I was ever conceived on this planet. And if I want to know who I am, I got to go back to before the beginning to him because God knows me. That's why God can name me. In fact, John 10, 14, this is what Jesus says. He says, I am the good shepherd and I know my sheep. This is why God gets to name you, because he knows you. This is why God, this is why God knows your name, because he knows you. You know another reason why God gets to name you? Because he died for you. Like this is how Jesus, think about this. Um, this is how we're renamed, essentially. Is that Christ dies for us and then through Christ we come back to God. A lot of times when we talk about salvation, we talk about being saved from. And that's true. There's a lot of things we're saved from. And they're all the scary things. We're saved from destruction. We're saved from the wrath of God, right? We're saved from death. <laughs> I remember, though, growing up as, a, as we had youth rallies and youth meetings. And I don't know why it was. They just seemed to all assume that we were all heathens all the time. <laughs> because it felt like every youth rally we were needing to get saved again. I'm going to tell you right now, I'm, I'm a young man. Very young, very, very young. And don't, that was not a joke. I don't, you're laughing and it hurts and stop it. But I promise I've been saved more than most of y'all. I've been saved more times than most everybody else in this room because I grew up in church and, and every youth ride I went to, it's like, you're all going to burn in hell. You need to get saved. And, and I was like, oh Lord, I need to get saved again. And uh, this one, I remember this guy was preaching about hell. And I think we should talk about hell because there is an actual hell. I mean, it's not the most encouraging message, but you kind of need, it's kind of back to that truth thing. It may not be fun. It may be offensive, but there's a real hell and you don't want to spend time there. Um, not a great place to vacation. I was just reminded my oldest son's in Arizona and I was texting with him after I dropped him off and I said, is it hot today? And he said, well, dad, it's not hell, but it is a sauna really close to there. And uh, anyways, <laughs> but, oh Lord, what was I saying? 
the youth, the youth rally. And so they were always trying to get us saved. And so here's this guy and he is preaching and he decides to talk about hell, which again, I don't think that's inappropriate in church. Jesus talked about hell, right? It may not be popular, but it's not inappropriate, you know? And he goes into talking about all this research he did, how hell is like being burned by sulfur or something like that. And it has all these smells as it burns your flesh off, but it does it slowly and you never die. It's a very encouraging message. I was so edified in my spirit. And I remember sitting there and being like, oh my God, I don't want that. You know, by the time he gets to the end, he's like, you don't want your flesh being burned off by sulfur for the rest of your life or for all eternity. I'm like, oh, I don't. I'm 14, but my eyes are popping out of my head like, my God, this is the most graphic. And so he said, I'm telling you right now, if there's sin, if you've ever thought anything Jesus wouldn't think, I'm like, I'm 14. I think something Jesus wouldn't think every four minutes. I'm telling you right now. I'm 14. I'm happy if I have one thought a day I think Jesus would have. Are you with me? Like, I feel like that's winning. And so, of course, I got saved again with everybody else. And, um, <laughs> and it is true, it is true, it is true that we are saved from, but really the power of the gospel is being saved to. That we are saved to be conformed to the image of his son. That we are saved to be adopted as sons and heirs and joint heirs with Christ because we are the sons of God. Like that, that, that Galatians 2.8 is amazing. By grace, through faith, you've been saved. It's not of yourselves. It's, it's a gift of God that no one should boast, not of works. But two verses down, Ephesians 2.10, and here's why you've been saved, because you are God's masterpiece, right? Some say workmanship, right? Everybody just, look at your neighbor, just say, he's still working on me. Don't judge, he's still painting I may look like a Picasso today, but I'm going to come out of Van Gogh eventually. Are you with me? I may look like watercolors from kindergarten today. <laughs> Somebody's like, that bears witness, Pastor. That bears witness. Anyway. <laughs> Got an amen right there. But it says we are his workmanship or his masterpiece. That, and it says he created good things in advance so that we could walk in them. So we're saved from death and destruction, absolutely. But we're saved to become sons of God and to walk in that identity and purpose as a son of God. We're not just saved from, we're saved to. That's why he gives us a name. Revelation says when we meet him, when we meet God in the end, he's gonna give us a rock that has a name on it that he's called us from the beginning that only he has for us. And we're finally gonna get to know that our name isn't Jacob, but it's Israel, but it's gonna be our name. That's what Revelation said. And so God, listen, God has the right to name you because God knows you and God created you and God died for you. Uh, most of you know I have a daughter who's adopted Mariah. She's actually with her brother today um, in Arizona, <laughs> probably sweltering. Anyways, but, um, and so, um, but what was really cool is when she was born, she had a name. She's from Korea. Her name was Kim Sol. And, um, and so they said, hey, you, you, get to, you get to rename her because you're adopting her. 
And so through the process, we came to the name Mariah, not Mariah Carey, not all I want for Christmas is you, not that, but uh, Mariah, Mount Mariah, God is my teacher. And then her aunt, Elena's middle name is Celeste. And so we named Mariah Soles. We left the soul because we wanted to keep part of her, because it's who she is, part of her Korean name in her name. So instead of Celeste, she's Soles. So Mariah Celeste straight. But here's what they said. Because you're adopting her, you get to rename her. I want you to understand the Bible says that we have been adopted by God. That the spirit of adoption is the Holy Spirit who's in our hearts and cries out, you're our father. And his spirit bears witness with our spirit that we're sons of God. And I want you to understand today, the reason God gets to rename you is because he adopted you. And let God, and here's the thing, don't try to bring your old name into the new family. Let him rename you. And be who he calls you. In, in, um, in the story of Jacob, uh, Jacob's 12th son, Benjamin, is born. We know him as Benjamin. But he wasn't first named Benjamin. Rachel has him. And it's apparent she's going to die in childbirth. And so she actually names him Ben-Onai, saying he is the son of my sorrow or the son of pain. Jacob then steps in and says, no, he's not going to be Ben-Onai. I have the right to name him as his father. He's going to be Benjamin, son of my right hand. Listen, don't let someone else name you something because of their pain. But understand, your father has the right to rename you no matter what you've been called by who. Are you with me? Only God can name you. Here's the third thing. To know who you are, you must know whose you are. To know who you are, you must know whose you are. In other words, if, if what I know is God has a name for me, and what I know is God knows me, and what I know is God created me, then the way I know me is to know Him because He's my Father, because my identity comes from Him. You see in the Bible, God renamed people a lot of times in the Bible. Uh, we see it with Jacob, obviously, where God shows up and says, no, your name's not Jacob. It's going to be Israel. But you see it when he called Peter. Peter's first interface with Jesus, he gets a new name. The first time he's face-to-face with God, if you will, God says, your name's not going to be Simon. You're going to be called Peter. Peter then is the one that has the revelation. Who do men say that I am? Peter says, you're the Christ. You're the son of the living God. There is a correlation between knowing him and knowing you. And, and we need to understand this because we, we today live in a culture where everybody is trying to find identity in all types of things. I, in days gone past, you know, sometimes we are identified by what we did. Well, I'm a plumber or I'm an engineer or I'm a lawyer or I'm a doctor. And men, sometimes we're really bad about trying to find our identity in what we do. But we live in a day where we're trying to find, culturally, people are trying to find their identity in so many diverse things, so many different things, so many different labels, so many different associations, some that seem popular, some that seem trendy, whatever the case may be. And we also live in a day where where we're trusting the issue of identity to children five and six years old who don't have the mental capacity or faculty. How, listen, 
We have people 50 and they don't know who they are. How's a five-year-old supposed to know? Jacob was 97 before he figured it out. And so what we need to understand that if you want to know me, you, you, don't, you don't look, if you want to know who you are, then it's very important you know whose you are. That's where the issue of identity starts. That, that is where ultimately we have to go. Listen, ultimately it's the same battle that Adam fought, the enemy warred against his identity by trying to separate him from God. Listen, when the enemy, the way, you got to understand this, and it's back to culture again but and, and what we're watching in our day. But you think about it, when he was warring against Adam, the first thing he tried to do is separate him from God because he tried to convince him God wasn't good. Did God really say, no, I don't think that's really what happened. God's lying to you, right? Because ultimately, why? what he knows is you can't know who you are if you don't know God. That's why the enemy, he's like, you're receiving identity from God and I need to separate you from God to keep you from figuring out who you are. So I'm gonna convince you, you can't trust God so that you'll separate yourself from God I'm going to convince you God's not good. I'm going to convince you God doesn't understand. Because you can't know who you are without knowing who's you are. When God made Adam, Adam was comprised, composed, made up of two things, according to the Bible. He was made up of dirt and breath. The Bible says to create Adam, God took dust in the ground. I'm hungry too, sister. Let it out. Amen. <laughs> That's the same noise Pastor Marty makes when he's hungry. <laughs> but he was comprised of dirt and breath. Um, the Bible says God took dirt and formed it and then breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and then Adam became. Notice he wasn't living until there was breath. He was made up of dirt and breath. Well, what is the breath? Well, that's the spirit of God, the presence of God, the power of God. What is the dirt? That was the shell, right? It, it, was, it was what housed the presence of God. So you could say that was his soul, his body. What's interesting is the dirt didn't know who it was until it had the breath, In fact, the dirt wasn't even who it was supposed to be. The dirt wasn't Adam. What made Adam, Adam was not the dirt. It was the breath. It was when God breathed. Why? Because the Spirit of God is actually who tells us who we are. Why? Because he's the Spirit of adoption. And the first place the Holy Spirit leads us, those who are led by the Spirit of the sons of God, the first place the Holy Spirit leads us is in adoption. And the second place the Holy Spirit leads us is in identity. He's going to lead us. No one can come to the Father unless they're drawn by the Spirit. So he's going to bring us to the Father, lead us in adoption, and lead us in identity. Why? Because it's always the breath who tells us who we are. The problem is we have a culture that's trying to figure out who they are based on the dirt. Because they're looking inside themselves to say, how do I feel about who I am? What do I think about who I am? What type of experiences have I had or do I want to have? Well, the dirt can't tell you who you are. The dirt can tell you what happened. The dirt might can't even tell you how you feel about it. It just can't tell you who you are. And so Adam was composed of dirt 
and breath, and it's the breath. Why do you think Jesus comes back and he saves us, he pays for sin so we can be reconnected with the Father? And how are we reconnected with the Father? We receive the spirit of adoption. We receive the breath. Think about this. In John 10, 10, we've been talking about the good shepherd, right? I'm sorry, in John chapter 10, we're talking about the good shepherd, right? Talking about how he names us and he knows us. Right in the middle of that, because we read 1 through 3 and 14, right in the middle is John 10, 10, which most people quote and know because they say, I have come that you might have life and have it to the fullest or have it abundantly, depending on which version you pick. But let's, and, and we have a lot of ways we apply that. And I don't necessarily think they're wrong. Let's just put it back in context. He's talking about identity. He's talking about the shepherd knowing the sheep and the shepherd naming the sheep. And the way the shepherd names the sheep is he lays down his life for the sheep. So this is our whole, it's what we've been talking about. And right in the middle, he said, this is why I've come because the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. What does he come to steal, kill, and destroy? Who you are, your identity. And he said, I have come that you might have life and have it abundantly. What is the life he's talking about? It's the breath of God. It's the breath of life. He said, I'm coming that you would know who you are. And the way you know who you are is you have to know whose you are. And when you know whose you are, he breathes into you this breath of life. And it's the spirit of God that tells you who you are. He's saying, let me name you. Let me tell you who you are. It's actually the Holy Spirit that tells us. Let me tell you one more thing. In this world, you got to be careful what you cling to. Because what you cling to will label you. Write that down because it's going to make sense in just a minute. What you cling to will label you. Jacob's life starts and his name comes from what he first clinged to. He was born clinging or grasping the heel of his brother Esau. And he was named based on what he was clinging to. In Genesis 32, he is then renamed because of who he was clinging to. What you cling to will label you. And here's what I'm saying, because we have a culture saying cling to this, and we have a world saying cling to this, and we have, we have people saying, no, cling to this, and we're trying to find our identity in ourselves, we're trying to find our identity outside of ourselves, and we're clinging to this, whether it's status or promotion or a new car or a new boat or a new house, or whether it's gender or sexuality or whatever it is, we're trying to find our identity and we're clinging to different things. By the way, I, I just need to say this, and this is going to, I hope it doesn't offend you. Um, gender is not a social construct, it's an expression of creation. God created them male and female, He created them man and He created them woman. And gender wasn't something to cling to to try to find identity, gender was the expression of God's assigned identity on His creation. And I know that's not popular and offensive, and I'll probably get an email. And it's okay, because I will pray for you, and then I will file it in a very special file. 
But we have, think about it, we have people clinging to gender and clinging to pronouns and clinging to ideas and thoughts and concepts and feelings and people clinging to jobs or promotion or status, whatever it is. And people are clinging to all types of things and they're trying to be labeled by those things. And here is what God and the Holy Spirit are saying is, stop clinging to those things. Start clinging to me. Wrestle it out with me. Yes, it's a struggle. Yes, it's, 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 a, it's a process, but cling to me and wrestle it out. And understand, you, you know, Jacob probably didn't feel like Israel when he was renamed Israel. He probably still felt like Jacob because not asking us how we feel, he's trying to tell us who we are. And when we believe the truth of God's word about who we are, our feelings eventually will catch up. You want your feelings to align with truth. Please don't make truth your feelings. Are you with me? Jacob spent his life labeled by what he had cling, clung to, but he was renamed by who he chose to cling to. And I'm saying today on this issue of identity, God is the one that has the right to name you. Cling to him, wrestle it out with him, and let him call you by your. Let him name you. Amen? Amen? Come on, can you give God praise for his word today? <laughs> Why don't you stand? And as you stand, I'm going to ask for our prayer team to come. <clears throat> we end all of our worship experiences with a time of prayer for anyone who needs prayer for anything. It would be our greatest honor at the conclusion today as we conclude to pray for anyone who needs prayer. And so our prayer team's going to come. And they'll just be standing at the front. They're wonderful, safe people, well-vetted if you, if, you, if you have any concern. They're just here to minister, to pray. And, and if you need prayer today, please don't leave if you need prayer. No matter what it is, encouragement, healing, just some, going through something, we want to pray with you. But right now, I just want us to bow our heads. <clears throat> and I want us just to take a moment with God. And God, we're, we're just here in your presence. And God, I just pray as the truth of the word of God has gone out. Lord, I did my very best to try to say what I thought you wanted said. God, I don't want anybody to be offended, but I do want people to hear truth. God, I pray that you would speak to our hearts today. We're gonna take a moment and just listen for you. With your heads bowed, normally we close the service. A lot of times we'll say, Holy Spirit, what are you saying to us today? But today I just want to ask God a little more specific question. And I believe that he'll answer. I believe some people will hear God's voice maybe for the first time. And that is, I just want to ask God to tell us who we are. And you need to understand God's voice doesn't always come from outside of us. In fact, seldom does it come from outside. A lot of times it's inside of us. It's a feeling, it's a prompting, it's a knowing. A lot of times his voice even sounds like our voice. That's what makes it a little bit harder to decipher. But yet his voice is based on the word of his truth and it comes with a confirmation of his Holy Spirit. And you'll sense that in your spirit. God communicates spirit to spirit. So a lot of times his voice is on the inside of us. So I just want you to know that because sometimes we hear God and we just don't even know we hear God. But right now, Holy Spirit, I, I want you to speak to everyone in this room or watching online. I want you just to tell us who we are. We want to hear it from you. And so we just pause and today, and you can just pray this, say, God, will you tell me who I am today? God, I'm listening, I'm waiting. Will you tell me who I am? And I'll listen for your word. 
And as God is speaking, he's, he's probably saying to some, you're loved or you're chosen or you're forgiven or you belong to me or you are mine. You're my son, my daughter. But, but I believe God will speak to us. And as we're listening and God is speaking, every head bowed, I just want to talk to anyone that may be in this room or watching online and, and you don't have a good relationship with God. Maybe you don't even have a relationship with God. You know, it's possible to have a relationship, but it could be a bad one or it could be a distant one. But you know in this moment, you're away from God, far from God, not close to God. That, that you're not talking to Him, He's not talking to you. Maybe, maybe you even know, maybe you're living in some ways that maybe God wouldn't even approve of and, and you kind of know that. Listen, I don't want you to feel condemnation. I just want you to, and, and God doesn't want you to feel condemnation. He just wants you to come home, come home to him. And so no one's looking around right now, but if that's you and you're watching, even in your living room, I want you to participate. Or if you're in this room and you're like, you know what? I, I just, I need to, I, I want to be close to God. I need a relationship with God. I need to renew my relationship with God. I need to, I just need to come back to him or I've never known him and I want to know him because I can't know me without knowing him. If that's you, no one's looking around, but I'm going to ask you to do something, and it's really for you and him. It's not for anybody else. But I want you to just lift your hand up and say, hey, this is me. That's me. I need a relationship with God. I need prayer today. Yeah, God bless you. Thank you. And even at home, if you're watching at home, just lift your hand up and say, God, here I am, and I want you to know I need a relationship with you. Anyone else, you can lift your hand and say, that's me. And then I'm going to pray for us and pray for you. And so with your heads bowed, no one's looking around. It's a very good, powerful moment, very sensitive moment. But if you lifted your hand, I want you to understand it's, it's not the words. I'm, I'm going to pray kind of a prayer, and you can pray along with me. It's not the words that give us a relationship with God. It's not the words that transform or change us. It's the faith. It's believing in God and then confessing with the mouth that you believe in God. That's what the Bible says. If I believe in my heart and I confess it with my mouth that He is Lord, then I can be saved. And so you can use your own words is what I'm saying. It's just the faith and believing and, and then confessing it that, that allows God to come in and transform us. And so if you lift your hand, you, you would pray. It would be something like this. It'd be like, God, I believe in you and I believe in your son, Jesus Christ. I believe that he died and he rose again. And in doing that, he paid for me and he paid for my sin. He paid to adopt me. God, I ask you to forgive me of anything that separates me from you. I ask you to come into my life. Fill me with your presence. Fill me with your spirit. Help me to follow you the rest of my life. In Jesus' name. And God, I pray as they had prayed that prayer, God, you would make yourself known to them. Make yourself known to them and guide them and lead them and help them to follow you the rest of their life. And God, I pray for all of us today. God, help us to cling to you because you're the only one that died to name us. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. Come on, you got one more clap or shout or praise or woohoo or yeehaw or whatever. God is so good. Listen, if you need prayer at all, we want to pray for you. Please come and let us pray. Everyone else, we say a big God bless you. We love you so much. We'll see you next weekend.